Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our morning's meditation comes from the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, where Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Those are the words of God. I debated about asking at the beginning of this message how many of you don't wear your seat belts all the time, but in view of what I may say later, I decided to save you public embarrassment and let you just linger with that thought as the message goes on. The reason I say that is because of a factoid, which is a little fact, that I came across several months ago. It said it takes seven-tenths of a second to kill a person in an automobile car crash without safety restraints as it hits a tree at 55 miles an hour. In other words, if you hit a tree doing 55 miles an hour, it takes seven-tenths of a second for you to die. They then broke it down this way. At one-tenth of a second, the front bumper and the grill collapse. At two-tenths of a second, the hood crumbles and smashes into the windshield. At three-tenths of a second, the driver is sprung upright, his broken knees pressed against the dashboard. At four-tenths of a second, the front of the car is destroyed and dead still, but the rear end is still plunging forward at 55 miles an hour. At five-tenths of a second, the driver's hands bend or collapse the steering column. At six-tenths of a second, the impact rips the shoes off of his feet and the driver's head is slammed into the car windshield. At seven-tenths of a second, the entire body of the car is twisted out of shape, blood is coming from the driver's mouth, and shock has frozen his heart. When I saw that, and in view of all of the other facts that I understand about safety restraints, or what we commonly call as seat belts, I wondered why it is that the average American living today is still opposed to wearing them. I mean, ever since they have become mandatory, people have been devising ways not to wear them. Now, most of us know people like this, Hopefully not many of you are people like this. People who refuse to wear them or disable the warning lights or they disable the buzzers as well. I, I want you to think for a moment the progression of seat belts in America. At first, the powers that be introduced the buzzer system. Some of you remember that. It would keep on buzzing until you actually click that seat belt together. Now, this worked a while until some man discovered if you take a little screwdriver, you can pop out the right fuse, or you can make that silly, annoying buzzer stop buzzing, and you don't you need to use a seatbelt anymore. Then the creators said, oh, we can get around that. Uh, we can create a device that will prohibit man from starting his car until he first puts, puts on his seatbelt. So back in 1974, that's what they did. And man found that he could not start his car without clicking his seatbelt. But you know, man is not going to be that easily restrained. He found that if everyone who sat in the front seat would just lean back and lift their behinds off the seat for three seconds, you could start your car. 
Now, since then, people have figured out all kinds of goofy ways to disable their seat belts. I mean, you can go to certain garages for 20 bucks. I mean, they, you can have that device totally decapitated. It will never react again when you start your car. Other people try it a lot easier. I've seen this. I've seen it even in Texarkana. They tie the seat belts together. They lock them behind themselves. Other people just grab the seat belt and they hold it with one hand. I don't know why they pull it across. They hold it there. They refuse to lock it down. Some people tuck it underneath their legs. I've seen somebody had it in their teeth, for heaven's sakes. I mean, they're kind of thinking, after all, it is better to tie up one arm or one leg than to have your entire body restrained. Now, by this time, you're wondering, okay, pastor, what's that got to do with anything in church? Thank you for the safety tips this morning. Well, it's got to do with this, friends. You and I, like these people who refuse the seatbelt, guess what? By nature, all of us do not like restraints of any kind. By nature, the way we are born, we say, I'll do it my way. I can make it my own way. Unless we think that philosophy suddenly disappears the day you become a Christian, think again. I mean, the human desire, the sinful flesh that we were born with, continues to try and make it on our own. That never leaves us from the day we are born till the day we die. Your old human nature... You know, that old Adam, as Luther called it, that old sinful flesh continually tries to get you to believe again and again and again that somehow you can do it all by yourself. You don't need anybody's help. You don't need anybody restraining you. Our human nature, and I want you to know, I'm talking about myself this morning. Me, Barry... My nature is 100% opposed to God trying to step in and save me. I'm just being honest with you. And if you're honest with yourself, you have to admit that too. As a sinful person, you are 100% opposed to having somebody else intervene or interfere in your life. And even after we are converted to Christ Jesus, we still have that same human nature that remains defiant. That's true even after we learn all the facts. There are still some people who heard what I shared this morning about a seatbelt who will walk out in this parking lot this morning and say, I could care less, and they'll drive off. See, we know from the Bible, I just read it to you, we know from the Bible that because of our sins, what we deserve is what? We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. It doesn't leave out Missouri Synod Lutherans. That's why sometimes I should call this Lutheran Church Missouri Sinners. For that is what we are. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We know that. We learn that in confirmation. We got it underlined in our Bibles. We, we know that Jesus went to the cross, that he paid for all the sins that we've ever committed, and we even know how that was appropriated to us. We read a little bit further in Romans. I read that verse to you too, verse 24. It says, we are justified. In other words, we've been declared holy, and it says we have been justified freely. Had nothing to do with you. Freely, it says, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We believe that to be true. 
But yet our human nature constantly says, yeah, I know that, but I'm sure I got a role to play in it. I know there are certain things I can do, and I don't necessarily need God to do it. In fact, a recent survey of church-attending people, and by church-attending people, I'm not talking about an occasional pew plopper. I'm talking about somebody who's there more often than not. A guy just surveyed congregations across America, and over 50% of all adults who attend church on a regular basis agreed with this statement. Quote, anyone who is generally good or does enough good things for others during their life will earn a place in heaven. It almost makes me want to vomit. I do church consultation work. We ask people a couple of questions. We ask them, first of all, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Yes, no, or not sure. Now, I'll tell you that in Lutheran churches, by and large, about 70 to 80 percent say yes. Most of the rest of the people who attend Lutheran churches, the other 20 percent would answer not sure, which I find to be a shame. But then we follow that question up with, why should God, if you think you died tonight going to heaven, why should God let you in your heaven? And then we find that a roughly 50 percent of Lutherans believe it's because they can earn their way in. And about 50% believe that maybe it's something that God did. I wonder sometimes, how is that possible? Are we not preaching that? Is it not read to people? Do we not cover that in Bible classes and confirmation? And I realize that even while we do, what are we still dealing with? We're dealing with sinful people. Friends, we are spiritual schizophrenics. We're spiritual schizoids. We have two different personalities. I remember watching cartoons as a kid. I still watch them occasionally. Uh, Donald Duck was heading to school one day, and he got to the fork in the road. One went to the fishing hole, the other one went to school. And he was standing there, and suddenly a little devil duck appeared on one shoulder and a little angel duck on the other. Well, you know how that works in the cartoons. The devil duck pulls the halo down over the angel duck, and... You know, that's almost the way we are. We're, we're at war in ourselves. We have two personalities that are driving us. We, we drive down the road of life with the love of God wrapped securely around us in Jesus Christ. But then we start to worry. And they, that seatbelt gets a little too snug and so we loosen it. And then we start to doubt a little bit or we get angry and... So we take off the seatbelt of love and forgiveness and we find ourselves saying or thinking, God, I've got to figure this one out on my own. Or, ah, I know I'm not supposed to get revenge, but ah, come on, God, I've got to do it this time. Or, I, 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 I can handle this one on my own. Or we start a brand new day. I mean, how would you start your day? Good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. Is this the day the Lord has made and you will rejoice and be glad in it? Or, are you, or did you get up this morning and say, Oh my God, i got to go to work again tomorrow. See, sometimes we get up in the morning and we, we do that without going first to the Lord and asking His guidance. And by not asking His guidance, what we're kind of doing is thumbing our nose at God and saying, I really don't need you today, God. I, I can control this day. I don't need the seatbelt of your direction. I don't need the seatbelt of your power today. 
I'm not going to bother to read my Bible today. I'm not going to talk to you today, really, God. I don't need a seatbelt to restrain me in this life. Maybe other people do. I mean, there are a lot of weak people who go to First Lutheran. They need the seatbelt, not me. I mean, I, I can do it. I'm doing just fine. You know, it's to that kind of person who has that attitude. You know what God ought to do? God ought to shower down his wrath and hurt those people real bad. Those people with that kind of attitude, God ought to abandon. But wait a minute. I'm that person. <laughs> I'm that person. And so are you. I'm, I'm sorry. If this is the first time some of you found out that's who you are, I'm sorry. But somebody had to be honest with you. I don't want to be abandoned by God. I'll be real honest with you. Hell is not on my itinerary for future plans. I don't want to go to hell someday. I mean, even if, and the crazy thing is, even if I have come up with every scheme possible to unlatch God's hands from around me, I still don't want to be lost at the end. And you know what's really interesting? Is that even after my own defiance, even after your own willfulness, or even after your own selfishness, God still is standing there, and what is he saying to you? He's saying, Barry, John, Muriel, because of Jesus dying for your sins on Calvary, I still declare you not guilty. I still love you. I still will forgive your sins. And you know something? For the life of me, I can't always wrap my brain around that. I, I can't always understand it. I've been trying to take the seatbelt of God's love off of my entire life. I have avoided God at different times. I have sinned against God's love at different times. I have refused to share His love. And yet God keeps saying to me, I love you more than you could ever imagine. And, and He's not just saying that to me. He's saying that to every last one of you. I hope you hear this morning, friends, they hear God you know, speak to your soul some way. I can hear ear... You know, because of what Jesus did, my friend, I declare you not guilty. You're mine no matter how many times you have driven into the garage of the evil one. I'm overwhelmed by that kind of love. When I know God would love me that much, it brings me to my knees. And it's when it brings me to my knees, I do what we did at the beginning of this service. I repent of my rebellion. I repent of that wicked, evil, bad, and nasty nature I have. And friends, this is staggering because believe me, there is not a person on this earth who would ever put up with all the nonsense you have thought about. Now, I'm pretty sure my wife loves me. She's hung in for 44 years now. But I wonder if she knew everything, <laughs> how that would work. I mean, if your spouse or your friend knew all those rotten, miserable things you've ever thought about, if they knew all of those things that you've ever felt on the inside, if they knew all of those things that you've ever attempted to do, if they knew all of those things you actually did do, I don't know that they would put up with you. That's because they're human beings. But you know... God knows all of those things. God knows every thought. God knows every desire. 
He knows everything you thought about doing but didn't do. He knows things you did and didn't get caught at. And he knows the things that you did and you think you are never going to get caught for. He knows it all. And guess what? He still makes this decision. He still says, John, because of Jesus, I still declare you not guilty. Nancy, your record can be wiped clean. Just that simple. Clyde, you have eternal life. The gates of heaven are open for you. That's what he says. He says, you know, all of you, when I call you home someday, you got a place waiting. I got a message outline. There's really not so many fill-in-the-blanks there for you today, but there's some great Bible passages. And, and one of the Bible passages in there you see from, from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. Now, redeem means to buy back. And I think a lot of people in Texarkana must understand it because there seem to be a, a proliferation of pawn shops along state line. I've been waiting all week to use the word proliferation, too. <laughs> and if I can work at amelioration into the sermon, I just did, I'll be happy. But it says we have been redeemed. He said, to redeem those under the law that we might be Lutherans? No. It says that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, do you understand what that means, friends? This is your inheritance. Everything that belongs to the Father is yours. And you can't do anything to get it, and you can't do anything to earn it. I'm going to back it up with a few Bible passages so you don't just say, well, pastor, that's what you think. No, what I think doesn't make much difference. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 on your outline. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is what? A gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Well, let's move down to 2 Timothy. What does it say there in 2 Timothy? God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Now look at the next phrase. Not because of anything we have done. But, oh, there's that great Bible word, but. But because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was what? Given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now, I like the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I kind of like that song. But you know what? Scripturally, it's not correct. We cannot even decide to follow Jesus. We're going to do that in closing today, part of Luther's explanation of the third article. But it says, I cannot by my own reason or, or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or even come to him. We are beggars, Luther says, and we're stupid beggars to boot. We're not even smart enough to raise our hands up. God gives it to us. Nothing we can do. Let's skip to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22:17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him do what? Take the free gift of the water of life. You know, it's difficult getting this through to human beings. Indeed, the largest denomination in America, and I will mention the denomination, they're called Roman Catholics. I'm not here to beat up on Roman Catholics, but I'm here just to prove a point about human nature. I'm, I have something on your message outline. It's called Canons and Decrees 
of the Council of Trent Roman Catholic document. It basically says that saving faith in Jesus does not save. And the quotation I put there for you is from Canon 12 under what they call the Canons Concerning Justification. Now, let me read this to you. You need to understand that not everybody accepts what the Bible says is true. It says, if anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in divine mercy, which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that this confidence, this faith, alone is what justifies us, let him be anathema. In other words, anybody who believes that you are saved only by faith, let that person be damned. And I go, whoa, baby. <laughs> are you wrong? Have you not read the Bible? Now, I'm, I'm not telling you that your Catholic friends are going to hell. Not for a minute. Because I know a lot of them. I mean, I've got a couple of degrees through Catholic universities. And I know there are people there that will see me in heaven someday. I'm just pointing out to you what the official teaching of at least one denomination says, which is in direct opposition to what the very clear word of God says. And that rejection of the free gift of salvation is repeated, not just that one paragraph, but over and over again in the canons and the decrees of the Council of Trent. That's the natural mindset of men. People don't understand free. I used to work at a sporting goods store in the summer, and I remember we used to set out free donuts. It even had a sign, free donuts. I remember kids coming in and looking at them, and they go, how much are these free donuts? I say, they're free. What do we have to buy to get a donut? Nothing. They're free. You know what those little kids would do? They would wait till I moved further in the store and turn my back so they could steal the donuts. They didn't understand free. One of the churches I used to pastor, the youth group, had a, a car wash. And they decided to, to have a, a free car wash. And when people came in and asked, how much is this car wash, the kids said, free. And most people didn't believe it. And the kids were handing out you know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 with some explanations and even the Gospel of John. But even with that explanation, still some people did not understand the concept of free. They felt that they somehow had to pay for it in the end. Billy Graham said something really wonderful. He said that when you get to heaven, one thing that will be really great about it is that no one will be standing around boasting about how they got there. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we read that all of the saints in heaven, this very moment, everybody who's up in heaven today, right now, your moms and dads, your brothers and sisters, the Bible says they're all lifting their arms and they're raising their voices up high and they are giving, they are giving all glory to Jesus for their salvation. They are not saying how good I am. They are saying how great thou art. Now, again, i got to tell you as a human being, I don't really understand this kind of love, but I sure do believe in it. I really do. I mean, God's Spirit gives us the power to believe it. And when we believe it, the Bible says we are free. The reality of God's love becomes real. The reality of God's love becomes meaningful just by believing. Faith alone. Now, there's a wonderful word picture of this what happens to the sinner, and I put it on your outline. It comes from the book of Zechariah. I know Zechariah is probably on your regular reading list, so I just 
gave you a little bit. Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 3. Let me read these verses. Great stuff. Then he, that's God, showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, whenever you see angel of the Lord, and Lord's all capitalized, the Hebrew there is Malach Yahweh. Whenever you see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that's the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the flesh. So here's what you got going. He shows me Joshua, the high priest, standing before who? Jesus. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? He's talking about Joshua. That burning stick got snatched right out of the fire. Guess what? That's you and me. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel, this is the angel of the Lord, said to him, those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. So Joshua exchanged his spiritually filthy clothes for pure, rich garments. That's, a, that's prophecy there, folks. That's a picture of what is to come for those of us who are made right by faith alone. That's what God promises. I went back to look this up. I was surprised. But in August of this year, it will be 11 years since Princess Diana died. I was kind of surprised. It'll be almost 11 years since Princess Diana died. Researchers have discovered that she made at least two huge mistakes in her life. First of all, Diana refused to ever wear a seat belt when riding in a car. As a result, she died. Experts said that she could have easily survived the crash that ended her life if she would have had a seat belt on. In fact, not a person in that car had a seat belt on. She decided not to, and so the price was high. The second thing, the second thing appears, and I'm going to just say it appears that way because I have no way of looking into anybody's heart, that she also rejected the seatbelt of God's love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Because it is said that she kind of chose the dark side of religion. She was very much into psychics, very much into the occult. Now, if that's true, she is lost. Like I said, I, I cannot really make any judgment. I'm just judging outside appearances. But what I do know is this, that in Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he goes on and says, but whoever does not believe, faith alone, right? Whoever does not believe is what? Condemned. That's a terrible tragedy for anybody. It's also an eternal tragedy. Here's my piece of advice to you this morning. Buckle up. Buckle up. And I mean it on two levels. When you leave this property this morning, folks, click it. I can't give you a ticket. But put on the seat belt. Make sure you're wearing it. It's there. It's free. And it can potentially save your life. But more importantly, buckle up. 
as you drive down the road of life this week, or as you drive down the road of life for as long as God allows you to live, buckle up spiritually. Strap on that full armor of God and don't bother to ever take it off. Buckle up. Paul says, and it's one of the last scriptures, I think, on your sheet on the back side from Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, every morning, take Jesus as your Savior. Every day and every day, he will keep you safe. He will walk you through every day of your life, even in those hours of pain and sorrow, even in the hours of death, and he will take you to your, his Father's house. That's what he's promised us. There's a prayer also printed on your message outline. And I want to close this message by asking you to join together with me in praying this prayer. It's on the back of the message outline. Let's pray together. Dear God, forgive me for thinking that there is anything I can do to save myself. Forgive me for trying in any way to add to the sacrifice Jesus made for me on the cross. Heavenly Father, love me now in Jesus. Declare me holy because of Jesus. Wrap the arms of your love around me every day. I depend on you and you alone. In you and by you alone am I safe. Please give me the power to believe this every day until my journey's end and my safe arrival in heaven. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in your worship folder, you'll also see an affirmation of faith. I specifically chose today the third article, which is all about sanctification. It comes from Luther's small catechism. And we're going to read this this morning and share it with one another. Let's stand as we do this.